Today, the Made For It podcast is featuring Coach Candrea. Coach Candrea is one of the most successful coaches in the world in regards to softball. He's a leader in his profession. He has eight national championships. He's been a coach since I attended the University of Arizona. And I just aspire to be just a fraction of how good he is one day. I'm going to talk to him today about how the culture has changed with this generation and student athletes. What's it like being a champion and what's it like coaching an Olympic team? How has he sustained success for so many years? It's easy to get there once, but how do you sustain that for 30? This is going on his 35th year this year. What is earning the A? And we're going to talk about that a lot because that's an idea that I stole from him. Um, what about his emerging number one class? How many more years does he want to coach? What is he going for now? Um, I mean, there's, he's kind of, he's achieved every level of success in softball. What price comes with being successful? And just reflecting on his career, how he started, um, a lot of people don't know his path. Coach Candrea and I are going to talk about elite coaches, um, what he thinks um, you need to be a great coach. And we're going to talk about some of the great coaches that have been in this athletic department. And one of them is um, Coach Dick Tomey. We both had a chance to know him, and I know Candrea knew him very, very well. Okay, we have the pleasure of having Coach Candrea, the legend, and we're just going to pick his brain a little bit and ask him um, what it's like to be at the top. And so the, the first question I have for you is, tell me how much you've changed from day one up to now, year 35. Um, a lot, I would say. Um, just the culture uh, today is a lot different than it was when I came here, and the expectations have grown um, much greater. I mean, when I first got here, it was a very average team, and they'd never been to postseason. And I was just trying to get kids to work hard and believe that they could win. And um, then once that occurred in '91, was our first championship. I think that opened up the doors for us to recruit better players, um, to raise the bar, and the expectations were to win a championship every year. And um, those kids were a little bit different back then. They were uh, very, um, if you if you if you looked at them today, very competitive. They worked hard. Worked, <laughs> Something you don't find nowadays. <laughs> worked extremely hard. Um, they didn't really care whether um, they liked someone or not. But when they got on the field, if they were a good player, you know, they they loved them to death. And today, I spent all my time trying to develop a culture. You know, a culture and trying to get everyone to feel good about one another. And, and um, yeah, so it's, it, it has definitely changed the way I approach um, my coaching. You know, I think I was a lot tougher when I first started because um, there was a little bit of a fear factor. Today, you have to kind of find a way to push the right buttons and um, make them be believe like it's their idea that you want change. So. Well, even I look back at, we used to have 5 a.m.s um, for like six weeks, and we got ran into the ground. And if I did that nowadays, I wouldn't have a job. Exactly right. <laughs> it's just very, very different. I mean, I, one day here when I was playing, I think I ran 120 times sprints. I had the whole day to finish it. Like, you could never do that. 
But what has been the most challenging part um, with changing the culture? Um, well, for me, it's just con convincing myself that um, there really needs to be a change. You know, that's, you know, when you've had success and, and you feel like you're doing the right thing and providing the right atmosphere for kids to get better and compete, um, then it's awfully hard for you to, to say, well, God, I've, I've got to change because maybe I'm not connecting with these kids. And as I've gotten older, obviously, the, the, it is a little bit different. And I think, really, the thing that changed everything for me was social media. You know, I mean, that's, that, that was a huge, wow, what, you know, how, how do I handle this? And, you know, I think it's stupid that you have to get on and you, you don't have any friends, so you got to go see how many friends that will like you and, and, and count the likes and, which oh, is yeah, crazy yeah. <laughs> i'm and like so, i post what i like i don't care what anybody else yeah. likes and so that's been a really different thing and 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 then trying to manage um some outside sources that have their own opinions about kids and performances and and to me i've like when i first started coaching i wouldn't even post stats because i really didn't care whether you were hitting 300 or not it was trying to keep them in the moment try to find a way to win a ball game and then today the information out there is so accessible to them That's true. that I spent a lot of time um, with damage control because of their their mental um, abilities and feelings about themselves because we play a game of failure we do and you know we have people that love to take pot shots because they think they can coach better they think they, they can play the game better and I always tell them well, why don't you just get in the batter's box and see what it's like to hit a rice ball you know yeah, these, these kids work extremely hard, and and so that's that's where I have to find um, probably more of my time today is is the six inches between the years. Well, and when you when you approach a year, do you know at the beginning of the year if you have a championship team, or does sometimes it take time to develop because you have so much experience, you've had so many championships? Mm -hmm. But do you know at day one like this team is going to probably win a championship? You know, I think at day one, I I know that we have the capabilities. And I also know at day one that we don't have the capabilities. But I think for me, it's always been the end of the fall. Um, at the end of the fall, the body of work that these kids put themselves through will dictate, I think, how far they can go. And for our, our game, it's pretty easy. Uh, you know, we have to be strong on the mound in the circle. So if we don't have, if we're not strong in the circle, then we're going to be limited to how far we're going to go. Um, and then you look at, um, can you play defense? Can you play catch? And, um, you know, the, the last thing is, can you score some runs? You know, our game's a simple game. Um, what makes it difficult is the people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but do you see a difference as a head coach with mental illness nowadays than years ago? Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in a whole different era. I mean, my, you know, my dad gave me 20 bucks and said, good luck, son, when I went to college, and I did everything on my own. I don't ever recall growing up and having a trainer uh, to worry about whether I got hurt or not. Um, I definitely didn't have mom and dad at every practice and every ball game to feed me Gatorade and carry my gear and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's completely a different culture in that regard. And um, it's tough. It is. And it's, it's hard to coach. I think, um, you know, if I would have told my parents I'm leaving 
and I'm coming home, they would have said, where are you going to live? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even an option. I think, I think for me, what I've noticed is just the coping skills. Mm-hmm. I think now it's called, you know, anxiety or, um, yeah. you know, and years ago it was called just like, you got to pick up your boot, you yes. know, your bootstrap. You got to suck it up and go yeah. get it, you know? Yeah. It was just really different, but it's, I mean, good and bad. It's just very, very different. I think, um, the difference is like who you grew up playing with, like for basketball, you know, we grew up playing pickup. And then now no one plays pickups, so we had to be tough. You couldn't cry if it was a team of all boys. So just different. I think the culture is the first thing. Um, but after, after you have success, so your first couple of years establishing a team and you start to achieve success, but then how do you maintain that? I think that's the hardest thing. I don't think it's, yeah. I think it's hard right. building a winning program, but if you look at you and in basketball, you look at Tara, but then sustaining it at the top where the expectation is so high. If you don't win a championship, it's not a great season. Like, how do you sustain that? Well, I, you know, the first thing is, is simple, and, and that is the athletes that you bring in. I mean, um, we have been blessed to be able to recruit some, some very good athletes. And, and our challenges have gotten tougher when the SEC got into softball. You know, for a while... People don't realize this, but for a while it was a UCLA-Arizona game. And now it's coast to coast. And so, you I know. I never pe- thought about that. It was a lot more West Coast yeah, years So ago. people think, well, God, Coach, you haven't been in the World Series for nine years. And it's a lot tougher to get there. You know, so I think the SEC, I go back to a couple things. One, ESPN um, was definitely the, the boost that our sport needed. When they started putting games on television, I think it helped everything. But then when the SEC got involved in softball, now they're going to put money into football money into mm-hmm. softball. And so facilities were popping up. Um, salaries were really good and are today. And now you've got ESPN that is that owns the SEC network. And so now they're throwing them a check for $45 million every year. And, yeah, it's like... How do we deal with it? You know? Yeah, that's hard. And so it, it, it's gotten tougher. And I think people that don't really understand what, what goes on in the, this whole picture go, well, you know, why aren't you guys winning? You know, I mean, I look at the Pac-12 right now and I look at our facilities and you know, I, I'm blessed that we have a, a new one. Yeah. Um, but we are so far behind uh, times in facilities and, and, and I'm talking about a UCLA that just won a national championship, you know? And the, the great thing about the Pac-12 is all we ever did was win championships, so they never thought we needed to change anything. <laughs> They're like, you're already doing it. Yeah. You don't need a nicer yeah. facility. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm recruiting against. Well, in the SEC, I feel like just being in the Pac-12, there's just so many... <sighs> There's just so much more football money. Oh, yeah. It's just a different, a different animal for sure. Um, what are your non-negotiables? in your program um, and have they changed have they changed throughout the years well I, I think skill sets got to be a non-negotiable for me um, the game that we play uh, if you don't have the skill set at the D1 level we can make you better but we're always going to be falling short um, the other non-negotiable is um, I've got to be able to trust you and, and trust not just on the field but off the field um, my dad, a long time ago, he said, Mike, if, if, if a kid's keeping you up at night, then get rid of him. 
And when I was a young coach, it was hard for me to do that because I thought I could change anyone. That's how and, I am. And, and, and I promise, I, now I, I mean, I, I, I set the expectations and, and I'm very hard on that. And if, and if you don't want to be a part of this family, then I don't need you. And none of us need you. And the other thing for me in today's world is I need someone that's going to be a good teammate. Because if you're not going to be a good leader, then you better be a good follower. And we, we had a hard time with that for a while. We didn't have good leadership. And then we didn't have kids that wanted to follow kids that were trying to lead. So how did you develop that? Like, well, how did you get that? You do different things. So talk about some of the things you do when they get here day one. Yeah. They have to earn being here. So talk yeah. about that a little bit. Well, day one, yeah. You know, back a few years ago, I decided, well, you know, we, we give these kids so much stuff. And maybe that's part of the, the, um, the issue is that they, they expect it. And, you know, I, I grew up not expecting anything. And, and whatever I got... I was lucky to have, and I, I mean, thank God my mom loved to do laundry because I could wear the same <laughs> set, the same outfit to school every day and to be clean, you know. Um, but so I decided, you know, number one, I don't think these kids really have bought into the, the tradition. In fact, the tradition at one time was scaring kids, which really frightened me. Yeah, why do you think that? They is? were just, you know, we want to do our own thing. We, we don't want to be matched up against Jenny Finch and... You know, oh, because the expectations were so high. Yeah. They, yeah. So it was kind of swallowing them up. And so, you know, I had to kind of go back and say, all right, how can we how can we get them to understand really what the core principles are and what are the things that we want? You know, we talk about character and we talk about discipline. Um, we talk about being a good teammate. But what does that really look like? And how do I get them to understand that that's important? And so we put them all in blank uniforms and they had to earn the A. And um, the neatest thing about that idea was when, when a kid earned the A, so every week I would have, they would have an opportunity to, to text me and say, I think so-and-so has earned the A. And so everybody, you can't do it for yourself. Everybody, people no, do it for you. No, it's, it's got to be someone else. So then, then once um, they said, um, I think Sally Smith deserves, has earned her A. So then I put it out to the team and I have to get 95% approval from the team before we even consider this kid. Once we consider it, then we have a ceremony. We have an A ceremony. And so it's the coolest thing because we sit in our locker room and um, beginning practice on Monday, I go, hey, we've got two A's to give out. Sally Smith just got her A. And we go around the room and everyone starts telling Sally why they voted for her why they why she earned the a you know great so does teammate. everybody not have the a every year you start over every, or do upperclassmen already have it because they've earned it no at one time no we started over so everyone had to every earn year it. You every don't. year okay yeah and um in in that i did for a couple of years because i really needed it we didn't have leadership we didn't i thought we kids were just kind of lost in the process and didn't really understand the process and so um I did that for a couple of years, and you know the first time we did it, we did not give out our last day until it was almost the end of January. So we had some kids went through the whole fall and could not earn their A. But how were they when they didn't have their A? Were their attitudes bad or were they? No, they were missing something, and um, 
they knew they were missing something. And so it was a matter of, do I want to change? And, get and they my, eventually changed. They did. Yeah. Eventually the whole and team. And what usually, what's like some of the milestones they have to hit to earn the A? Is it going above and beyond? Like how do their teammates critique them pretty much? Yeah, I, th I think it's, um, it's the consistency of their work every day. It's every time they come to practice, are they, are they the kid that's going to run 20 shuttles hard? Or is it the kid that's going to run the first 10 easy and then all of a sudden at the end, they're, you know, you see it all the time. So trying to get them to consistently give us everything that they have with effort, um, with their um, being a good teammate. So being able to stay positive, pick people up. Yeah. The other thing is being able to get on teammates, because I think that's important too. I think that's one of the aspects. Back in the day, that's one of the differences. Back in the day, um, it, it seemed like our kids would police themselves. I never, never had to worry about it. You know? in this generation and they weren't, yeah, and they weren't scared in the middle of a practice to say, hey, that's not the way we do it. You know, pull your head out of your butt. <laughs> yeah. Today, they won't do it. Like yeah, I don't know, because I felt like, I even feel like that when we played, we did it, and I I, yeah. I can't get people to do that because they don't want to hurt people's feelings or they don't want to call people out or then the, they know the person's not going to be receptive. So do you feel like, like after the shift, do you have that now or some teams just don't have that? I think after the shift, I know I have it right now because um, I thought last year our junior class was a very strong class. Not just talent-wise, but very high character, very hard workers, um, have always been trying to lead, but never felt comfortable enough. Mm -hmm. And last year was the first time that I think we've had all of that. So we didn't have to earn their A last year. That was not an issue for me. You know, they had this, this group, their body of work speaks for itself. And so it yep. was, now I got to work on the team. I think this team has a chance of being pretty special. So everything I'm going to do is not going to be, it's going to be about this team, about, you know, um, being ready to get into the arena, getting back to the College World Series. So that's the focus. I mean, that you... was the focus. Anything less than that is, you know, we have failed ourselves. So every day that was the talk. And there's some teams that you can't do that, you know. Most of the time I don't even talk about the World Series. I just talk about getting 1% better every day. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how did you develop that philosophy? Get 1% better? Yeah, and what do you, what do you think I, are the little things? Because it sounds like all the little things matter. What are some of those oh, little yeah. things that matter? I, I think paying attention to detail. You know, how, how you go about your craft. You, I want them to be professional. You know, and, and I mean, there's a difference between playing for the New York Yankees and playing for someone else. And, and you have a choice. And so I want to be the New York Yankees. I want to be, you know, we're, we're going to make this tough. And practice should be tougher than any game that you play. Therefore, you have to be ready to get engaged, not just on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when we play, but I'm talking about on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I, I, I really believe it's, Sometimes you get lucky and get a, a, a strong group because I don't feel like you can lead unless you're good. That's my thing. Yeah, and that's so the problem that we had. Yeah. We had kids that weren't producing that were trying to lead and everyone would go, eh, what are you talking about? 
So you think your best players have to lead? Best players have to lead. Now, what if they're what if they're not vocal? That's okay. They can lead in different ways. They can still ways. lead a lot of different ways. I mean, most certainly. We, we, our, our, our senior class this year, um, many of them aren't vocal, but I promise you one thing. They will set an example that you're going to go. Now, what if your best player isn't your hardest worker? Or is your hardest worker like in game? You know, some great players, they show up in games. They'll still, when they turn it on, they're great in practice, mm -hmm. but they're not consistently bringing that every day. Well, I think it limits your ability to be great. I mean, you could be good, but for you to be great, you know, you need everyone engaged and they need to realize that, you know. I think sometimes it's the effect that you can have on other people too. You know, I, I'm looking for kids that can, um, that can not only make an impact for themselves, but that can bring someone else with their journey, you know. And that's, that's a neat thing is when you see a kid that, that really has that knack. I think, you know, like I said, my, my junior class right now, Deja Pala, uh, Mulapola, and, and uh, Martinez, um, Harper, Caranco, um, Palomino, you know, um, I mean, we, th those kids are special. And I knew when I recruited them that they were good because they played on a good team, they played and competed for national championships. And it was just a matter of time whether this group is going to make their impact. And it, it took a while because, believe it or not, um, I thought there was some times when we had some interference and I probably should have followed my gut and, and <laughs> pulled the plug and I didn't and tried to fix someone. And in today's world, you know, I'm looking at right now a good friend of mine at Nebraska that's in a world of hurt because you know, verbal abuse. Well, I'm, I know her better than that. You know, she's a quality human being and a quality coach. And, and that's the difference in today's world. Yeah, I think that's the difference too. But how do you, so times have changed. Yep. The, the student athletes have changed. Yep. You have to change. Yep. But how do you balance that? So how do you stay tough and you get 1% every day, 1% better every day. You hold them accountable. But then you have to tread lightly with, you can't, like nowadays in today's culture with athletics, you can't punish someone right. for not going to class. Right. So how do you still hold accountable? How do you manage all that? Well, I, I always go, I mean, my, I always say it's the, the three C's, not because of my last name, but I, <laughs> this has been kind of my guiding force in my career. And the first thing is I, I've always wanted to be uh, competent at what I do. So I am, I think I've, I've been a student of the game all my life. And I think sometimes newness helps the entire environment. Um, they, they, they never know what to expect from me. Um, I think I'm very consistent. So I'm not a guy that's gonna be happy-go-lucky one day and then in the dumps the next day. I mean, I'm gonna try to be the same person all the time. And I think that goes right along with our game because it is a game of failure. And I remember in playing in, in college and you know, you, you learn from a lot of different people. And I remember playing second base, and it was a routine ground ball and double played. If I turn a double play, we win the game. And there's runners at first and second, one out. And I, I can remember vividly feeling the ground ball, throwing the ball to the shortstop, and the ball sails over his head down into the bullpen. And I see the runners running around the bases. And I wake up sometimes at night in a cold sweat <laughs> thinking about this. Oh, my goodness. And the reason why is because the minute that that happened, 
I looked in the dugout and, and my, my mentor, my leader, my head coach was sitting there trying to pull a bench out of cement. <laughs> he was so pissed. And you know, I was pissed too. And I was looking for a place to dig a hole and bury myself. But here's what happened is now all of a sudden I'm scared to make a mistake. And every time I make a mistake, my eyes go to him. And I never wanted to be that guy, you know? So consistency to me, I think is huge. And I think if you look at the great coaches, um, the, the, you're, you're gonna see that. I, I don't think you can be on an emotional roller coaster and get stability out of kids. And I think the other thing for me is that they, they know damn well that I care about them. I spend as much time talking about things other than softball. And I think that's what allows me to be tough on them. Um, and maybe it's my age, you know. Well, I think all players, they don't know how much you, they don't care how much you know until yeah. they know how much you care. Yeah. And also I think it's a generational thing too, but um, I think you were just allowed to be a lot tougher. Like Joan was tough on me, but she did pat me on the back yeah. sometimes. And I, it's like one of those things, your freshman year, you hate your coach, <laughs> and yep. your junior year, senior year, like, oh, and then when you're 30, you call them like, now I understand why you did that, but it just takes time. And I'm very upfront and honest in the recruiting process. I mean, when I got mom and dad in a room, man, I fill it up. And I just say, you know, um, this is how I'm going to be. And I'm going to be the first one there to kick you in the ass when you need a kick in the ass. And I'm going to be the first one there to hug you. But I tell you one thing right now, if you're looking for a friend, go buy a dog because I'm not going to be your friend, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to be demanding. And if that's not what you want, then don't come to Arizona. And I think that's that's where we have to. That took me a while to be able to do that. How long into your career? It, it took me probably halfway into my career before I could really just say, you know what, that kid's really good, but I don't think she's a good fit for me because I used to go after early on. <laughs> Because you want to win. The most talented players. Mm -hmm. But then pretty soon, you got to make sure that's talented players that also fit what you want. Like, for advice to other coaches, like, how do you... Um, so, you get so busy as a head coach. There's so many things. There's so many decisions daily. Yep. Your hands are in so many things. And then... How did you find time and what did you do to work on your craft? So how did you get better? You do get better with experience, but what did you do outside of that Here. to get better? Because a lot of coaches talk about that. Well, if I can reflect back right now, um, some, of, some of my strengths has, have also been my weaknesses. And um, I was talking the other day about someone about this. As you know, when, when September comes, August school starts, September comes, I almost feel like I, I'm in a submarine. And I'm in a submarine until June, until I'm done. And I, I've become better at this, but I've had people make me aware that um, sometimes I forget about everything and everyone, and it has affected my own kids. It's affected my wife. <laughs> you know, she goes, sometimes I feel like I'm your assistant, you know, and it's like, ooh. You know, yeah. but that's that's a that's a dagger. <laughs> but that's what you have to do. I mean, I think to be successful, you have to decide what level do I really want to reach. And unfortunately, like I, I talked to Tina, for you to be the very best at what you do, you're going to have to pay a price because you can't do it part time. And sometimes that's family and, and that's kids, family and, it's and, hard. And, and that's learning how to balance things. You know. You know, I, I always go back to this story, 1993, I'm getting ready, I'm coaching the national team. I'm in St. John's, Newfoundland. Um, I just won a championship here. I'm coaching the best team in the world and I'm absolutely miserable and I can't figure it out. And I'm sitting in this little dorm room 
and I was in there for a month. And I mean, the dorm room, I could sit on the bed, put my feet on the wall. That's how small it was. But it had a window. And every morning I'd wake up, I'd look out the window. Japan, full uniform, right by my damn window, you know. And then I'd watch them sit in this grass area and just take dry swings for an hour and no one's saying a word. I mean, there's a, there's a leaf hanging off the tree and this kid's clipping the leaf. I was just marveled by their discipline. 20 minutes later, China, full uniform, right by my window. What were the Americans doing? We were sleeping, of course. Had the best pitching in the world. And I've lived through all that and got beat in the Olympic Games in 2008 by one really good pitcher. You know, and um, but after that trip, for some reason, things just weren't right. And I went home and I walked in the house. Michael, my son, was a sophomore in high school at the time. And it wasn't dad, welcome home. It was dad, can we talk? And I go, oh, shit, what happened? And he said, dad, would you consider dropping out of the USA coaching pool so that you can watch me play baseball? And I went, <laughs> I just got yeah. targeted. And, um, and, and so that was my very first, and I did, I dropped out of the coaching pool, coached Michael for the next three summers. And then when they got old enough, I asked, is that the reason, is that the reason why you dropped out of the pool? Yeah. Wow. And, um, then I returned in 2001, but it was him that kind of woke me up and said, you know, dad, we love these championships and we love all this stuff, but I need you as a dad, you know? And that kind of has resonated in me forever. And when I talk to young coaches, we all have families and we, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to find that balance, but truthfully I found it, you know? And when I found it, um, I, I really felt like I became a, a better coach and, and a better dad, a better, a better husband. Um, but what did you have to give up to find that? You just had to give up some of your time. I had to. I had to be where my feet were. I had to. If I'm here, I'm all here. But when I'm not here and I'm having dinner with my wife, I'm with her. Because there are so many times I'd sit there and eat dinner and I'm somewhere else. Yeah, we are on that. your phone. So at the end of the day, I found you know for me it was, you know, family's got to be the center of everything that we do, and we all know that. You have to have a profession that you, you love and you have a passion for. And I always tell people I've never worked a day in my life because I'm doing what I love to do. But truthfully, Adia, the, the big thing is um, my faith. I kind of got away from that and not by choice. I mean, my mom was my um, was the one that would grab me by the ears and take me to catechism and make me go to church. and. Um, and I, I really felt like at one time I was so busy trying to be the best at what I did. And remember, I was commuting. So I had a, I, I commuted 72 miles one way to work. I was living in Casa Grande oh, I didn't know for that. 21 years. But why? Because I started off coaching at Central Arizona College. Oh, and you never... And, and then my wife had a job in Casa Grande. Oh, and I, I said, well, that. yeah, we're not going to uproot everyone. I'm just going to go and see if I like this. Well... I've been here 35 years. I commuted here 21 years. So 72 miles every day, I'd get in the car and drive here and then drive home. And so it was a long day. The thing I loved about the drive, though, it gave me time to decompress. Yeah. And when I got home, I was ready to be home. Yeah, or you can do your phone calls yeah. on the way. That's yeah. what a lot of people talk did about. did a lot of work during that time. Yeah. But that, that's really, I think, the, the big thing with me was just trying to find a little bit of balance and it's not that 
I mean, I'm as competitive as anyone and I want to be the best at what I do, but unfortunately sometimes um, I think I've learned to work smarter. I've learned to um, trust, and I think the people that work with you have to be, I mean, they have to be the very best because you, I mean, I trust them. But you've had someone on staff for how many years? Uh, well, not really. I mean, Kate's been on my staff for, I've been through a few people. We all have. <laughs> I think we all have. And, and hopefully it's because they're moving yeah. up the ranks. But but there's been times when, and, and I tell you what, it's hard. I mean, I've had to, I've had to get rid of a, a former player that I rehired as a coach. And man, it's, it's tough. Ugh. I live by, you know, live that every day. And, um, so you, you got to make sure the people that you surround yourself with are, they have the same goals and aspirations. And, um, I look at families too, you know, when I'm recruiting, where is this kid really coming from? And, and cause I've had some situations where I walked in the a home visit and walked out and going, uh, <laughs> the apple doesn't fall uh, too far from the tree. Yeah, exactly. So there's so many little things and it's, it's, I, I think that's the fun part of coaching and the toughest part about being somewhere for so long is, you know, you, you have to, you have to adjust and, um, you know, I, it's no different than me and my wife talking all the time. You now, know. why did you never leave Arizona? You could have left in the coast. Like, you, why did you stay here so long? You know, I've got family here. You know, I mean, my, I've got a brother and two sisters. They both live in the Phoenix area. I'm the only one that lives in Tucson, which is quite interesting. At least you don't commute now. <laughs> at least I don't commute now. That would be brutal but every day with the coaching. I, to be honest with you, I mean, I've traveled all over the world, and every time I came back to Tucson, I kind of went, I look out of my backyard at La Paloma and look at those mountains and go, but did you ever think about it? Did you ever have an opportunity where you're like, hmm, but then I, you just stayed? Well, I've had lots of opportunities, yeah. But I mean, a really enticing one where it's, you're just like, wow, that's hard to I turn I tell you out. what, I didn't follow the money all the time. Yeah, And that good was advice. the biggest thing. Because if I would have followed the money, I'd be coaching the Chinese national <laughs> team right now. True. You know, or I'd be at LSU, or I'd be at Alabama, or I'd be at, you know. An SDC school. I've been through all of them, yeah. <laughs> Um, but but for some reason it's the people here that once you spend a lot of time with them it it's a pretty unique place to come to work you know and we've had quite a changeover now I mean it's like sometimes I go down the hallway and I don't know someone it's kind of like I feel bad because when I first got here we used to have our entire staff meeting and we took up half of the Hillenbrand auditorium and then we started filling that baby up, and now we got the football area that we can't put everyone yeah, and there's in. there's 100 people standing. <laughs> amazing. I mean, I've been through a few people. I mean, basketball coaches. I, you know, Wendy Larry was, I think, here when I first got here. And then, um, let's see, June. June Olkowski. And then Joan. And then Joan. Joan, and, 17 years. That yeah. Man. Yeah. And then um, Naya, and then you. That's five. It's a lot. Football, I've been through five football coaches. I've been through five presidents. Wow, five presidents. Yeah, that's a lot, too. You know, so it's, it's kind of fun to look back. And, and, but this is a special place. And I think it's a special place because, um, number one, I like it being the only show in town. And, and I think right now we're at a point. I mean, I was so excited about the WNIT and what you did with 
getting people in the seats. And it costs you a little bit of money. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. But I really believe that 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 there is a product here, and we just need to get people out one time. And that's what happened in softball. I, like I remember when Bill Hillenbrand came into my office and he says, "Mike, I want to help you." And I go, "Well, how do you want to help me?" He goes, "Well, I don't know. What do you got in mind?" I pulled out a napkin where I had drawn a picture of the stadium. I said, "This is what I want." And this is back when there wasn't any softball stadiums in the country. And I said, I really believe we got a good product. And if we can build this, we're going to put people in the seats. And he goes, well, let me think about it. He thought about it for about three days, came back and said, I'm in. Here's $1.7 million. Let's go to work. And we went and built Hillenbrand Stadium. Well, it, it was phenomenal for us. I mean, the impact it had on us was, I mean, a stretch was so damn good. Well, then... You know, we've, we've got Hillenbrand Stadium, and now I'm looking at it 25 years later going, geez, this thing looks old. It looks like we got a beer can sitting up on top for a press box, and we needed to do something. And, and I really felt like if I could make this happen, that it would also put it a shot into the Pac-12, because that's kind of how the Pac-12 works. You know, if someone does it, then... Yeah, then other people yeah. jump on board. And so um, hopefully this will make an impact, not just here at Arizona, but in our entire sport, because I think we're in a good place right now. I think women's, I think women's sports, I'm, I've always wanted to be an advocate for women's sports. I mean, I've coached both, and I coached baseball for many years at the college level and, and um, got into women's softball. I wasn't even thinking about coaching women's softball, and I fell in love with it. And here I am, you know, 40 years later doing the same thing. In fact, I just got a note the other day. I've got a former player of mine that played for me at Central Arizona College my very first year of coaching. She's going through cancer right now, but I, I had the privilege of coaching her and her husband. Her husband was Tom Pagnazzi, who was an all-star catcher for the Cardinals for many years. And he ended up marrying my one of my players that played on wow, my first team. Wow, that's amazing. And we've stayed in contact. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to do, Adia. Um, every morning, uh, if I open up my planner, I've got every kid's birthday that I've ever coached. And I try not to miss a birthday. And that's the only thing I like about cell phones is that now you can text <laughs> them. Where back in the old days, I would have to call them. It takes more time. Yeah, yeah now you can put alerts in your phone. But you'd be amazed how that has really helped um, keep our tradition together as a family yeah kids, that's kids great advice well this is awesome thank you i think you gave just a lot of pointers for younger coaches or different styles and you've had success and for me um just being a young coach here and you were here when i was a player i watch a lot of things you do i watch your team um i watch i i love to pick your brain it, this was really helpful for me but it's just watching that because there's so a lot of times i think when you're a coach you don't realize how much knowledge is in your own building right so you're always seeking stuff outside you don't realize go down the hall you know sean miller's here you're here kevin sumlin and you can learn so much just where you're at you know I look back at, at, at my mentors here and, and I go back to Jerry Kendall and, and Jim Wing um, Dick Tomey uh, miss him dearly and uh, but he was he was a guy that would just spend all the time in the world and, and a lot of times it wasn't about X's and O's it was just about dealing with people you know I remember I mean Dick was just so good at, at bringing his groups together and um, 
I'll never forget, I was at Washington. I traveled with the team, and and Dick and I had become pretty good friends. And, and so um, he, I, I wanted to go there and watch his pregame um, the night before. And Homer Smith was coaching the mm -hmm. offense, and Homer was a brilliant mind, and Dwayne Aquina. And so one room, you've got Homer Smith. He's like uh, General Patton, and he's got chairs all over the place <laughs> and very strategic. And then the next room, you got Dwayne Aquino throwing things against the wall, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you got Dick, you know? So we all get together after they're done with their breakouts, and Dick comes in, and he's talking about who's going to carry the flag tomorrow, you know, and talks about a story. Well, I'm in the back. The place was packed. I'm in the back, and I'm sitting on a, on a table like this, and I'm listening to him. And he all of a sudden, he goes, how many of you think that we could be Washington tomorrow and they all raise their hand and I'm in the back, I got my arms crossed. And he goes, Kendra! <laughs> You're like, <laughs> you mean we, you don't think we can win? And I go, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> but he That's called funny. me out and I go, man, after that, him and I just became so close. <laughs> That's funny. It was, he is that type of guy. Yeah. You know? Well, he was one of the first people that came to reach out to me. I just knew him years yeah. ago and just came to reach out and give me advice so we would talk all the time and he didn't have to do that yeah and it was it was helpful he was in my office for like three hours when i the first probably month i got here yeah so and i remember the old van you guys had remember the old arizona van that i think wendy larry had it it had the old um, cactus logo on it i know well, i we, missed that cactus we logo. thought that was the coolest <laughs> thing in the world but, yeah when are we going to bring that I cactus logo i back? do remember watching you play and a long time ago fierce competitor yeah. You know, and I think that's the one thing right now, if I can get kids to compete. If I can get kids to compete and I can get them to be good teammates. That's the we, hardest part. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. It is. And then we can start to win one championship like your many, but. You will. Well, thank you for your time. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. Bear down.